Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll turn our attention again to that one verse from Genesis chapter 3, known as the first gospel promise, the promise through which God was going to restore his relationship with Adam and Eve and with all their descendants with us. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you ever really mess up? Did you ever break something so that it was in a million pieces and there was no chance of, of ever fixing it? was just an old glass or a plate, probably no big deal, but what if it was that precious heirloom that was passed on from generation to generation to generation, it was just irreplaceable? What if it was a relationship? What if in a a moment of weakness you did something or you said something that really messed up your relationship with your best friend or with your spouse? How can you fix those things? You can't go back and not do it. You can't go back in time and and get a redo. That's the situation that Adam and Eve found themselves in. They had broken their trust with God. They just trusted Him They doubted his word, and then they disobeyed his command. There was nothing they could do to fix it. They couldn't go back and and not do it. It's already been done. They didn't get a redo from God. They didn't get really what they deserved. Certainly, they deserved a whole lot worse than just getting chased out of the garden. They deserved to have God send them off even further into the fiery pit of hell to live eternally with the one they chose to listen to instead of listening to God. As we saw last week, God was very gracious. Instead of cursing them, he cursed the ground. He made sure that they couldn't eat from the tree of life. He put cherubim and a flaming sword there so they and none of their descendants could get in and eat the fruit from the tree of life and live forever condemned in that sinful state of decay. He was very gracious to them, especially in giving them a promise through which their relationship could be restored. That's the only way it was ever going to work. It wasn't anything that they could do to restore the relationship with God. If they were going to have a restored relationship, it was God who was going to have to do something. And when he gave them that promise, he was so gracious that he gave it even before he told them what all the consequences of sin would be on earth so that in that promise they could have hope and it would keep them from despair. God said, I will put hostility between you, he's talking to Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, the woman's seed, will crush your head, 
and you will crush his heel. Do you see the wonderful grace of God in that verse? To see it, just ask yourself the question, who's the doer? Who's the one that's going to carry out these things that God was just talking about? It was God, right? He's the one that's going to do it. He's simply stating what he's going to do. This is what's going to happen. It really doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't even matter how much Satan and anyone else may try to stop it. This is what I, God, am going to do. God is the doer. This is wonderful, as I said before, because Adam and Eve couldn't do anything to restore their relationship with God. If it was going to be restored, God was the one that was going to have to do it. Imagine if God had, instead of giving them a promise that depended on him, had given them something to do. Think about that. Okay, Adam and Eve, I'll give you a second chance. I'll give you a different command, and let's see if you can keep that command and that you'll earn my trust back and our relationship will be restored. Well, we know how that would have worked out. They would have broke that command too. They'd lost the image of God by their first sin. No matter how many chances God gave them to redo it and to try to earn his trust back, they would have failed miserably. Their sinful nature, our sinful nature, keeps us from keeping any of God's commands perfectly, no matter how many chances he gives us. So he didn't give them another chance. He didn't give them a command to keep. He gave them a promise to believe. What was it that God promised to do? He promised, first of all, to make sure that there would always be hostility between Satan and Eve and her descendants. There's always going to be hostility because Eve had thought that Satan, speaking through the serpent, was her friend. Now she knew better. She was going to pass on that information to all of her descendants. Satan is never your friend. He's always your enemy. And even the seed of the woman, the ultimate seed of the woman, Jesus, would face the hostility of Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness, when he was tempted in the garden, as he was falsely accused and beaten and spit upon by Satan's minions. There would be constant hostility between Satan and the descendants of Eve, all humanity. There would be great hostility between Satan and the seed of the woman when he came. When this person came, when this seed, the seed that God was looking forward to, to give, when he came into the world, there would be an all-out war. But the result? It's never in doubt. His heel would be crushed, but Satan's head, his head, would be crushed. He would be completely defeated. His power would be taken away. His kingdom destroyed. The picture that you have in your insert from Full of Eyes, 
pointing that out pretty clearly, right? What do you see? You see the nail going through Jesus' heel. But it keeps going, right? It goes right through Satan's head. The seed of the woman would have his heel crushed, but the head of Satan, the head of Satan, would be crushed. Luther points out that this kind of abstract promise of the Savior coming in the future served in two ways. It served always to to kind of put Satan on edge and to put a little fear in him. But at the same time, it always served to give people the sense of Eve hope, something to look forward to. Satan would have to live in constant fear, always looking over his shoulder. There's a seed of a woman coming who's going to crush my head. You would be fearful of every woman and every child born. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one God was talking about who has come to crush my head. You wouldn't know for sure. Of course, we know we found out pretty quickly when Jesus was born, and he tried to use Herod to snuff out his life in infancy. But God knows all things. He knew what Satan was up to, and he made sure that Jesus was protected. With every child born, Adam and Eve had hope that this would be the one. In fact, that's likely what they were thinking when their first son was born, Cain. And Eve said this, I've gotten a man with the Lord. God said, a male child's going to be born, and he's going to crush the serpent's head. Could this be the one? Of course, we know he wasn't. But there was that hope, right? The promise created hope, drew forth faith. As time went on and God narrowed the scope of the promise and said, the seed of the woman is going to come through the line of Abraham and then through the line of Judah and then through the line of David. People were constantly hoping, constantly watching. Maybe this is the one. God said he was going to send a Savior. Then through the prophet Isaiah, God got even more specific and told us how special this seed of the woman was going to be. He was going to be the seed of just a woman. He would be born of a virgin. The Bible says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. It says, The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It says, He shared our humanity so that by his death, him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Just as God had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, it was a seed of the woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a man, born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, As soon as he was born, Satan tried to destroy him, did everything he could to get him to fail in his mission, used what had always worked before, worked for Adam and Eve, it works on us, works on everybody, deception, temptation. But Jesus resisted. He defeated every one of those temptations. He remained faithful to God and his word. 
Satan tried turning all of the religious leaders against Jesus. And that's a strong temptation. We know it, right? If we're the only ones who think something, if we're the only ones who hold a certain belief, it's tempting to think, how can I be the only one who's right and everyone else is wrong? But Jesus continued to trust that the only opinion that accounted was his father's. Satan had his minions heaped unbelievable amounts of lies and abuse, pain, on Jesus. Those are strong temptations. Satan often tries to use them. He tried it with Job, right? Pain, sickness, trouble. Satan loves to try to use those and say, eh, God must not love you. He must have forsaken you. Why don't you just curse God and die like Job's wife said? Yet even in the midst of suffering, Jesus remained faithful. In fact, the Bible tells us that he learned patience and learned to trust in God through suffering. On the cross, it didn't look good. It wasn't just his heel that was bleeding. But he was victorious. He did what no crucified man should ever be able to do. He called out in a loud voice. He said, it is finished. What well, was finished? Satan. Satan was the one who was finished. His head was crushed. His power was destroyed. The war was over. Jesus had won. How do we know? You're at our gospel reading, right? But Matthew tells us at the moment of his death, that curtain that was a symbol of separation between man and God, a symbol of our broken relationship with God, that curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We're told tombs were opened and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised to life and after Jesus' resurrection, they showed themselves in the city of Jerusalem. That curtain in the temple did represent our broken relationship with God, the fact that sin separates us from our God. But with the death of Jesus, every sin has been paid for in full. In Jesus, there's no longer a separation. In Jesus, our relationship with him, with God, has been restored. We can come into the presence of God without fear, the Bible says, with freedom and confidence. We can talk to God in prayer. We can listen with joy to his word. We can have confidence that we too, like him, will be raised from the dead and will get to live forever with him. Jesus has destroyed one of the most powerful tools of Satan, the fear of death. Jesus crushed Satan's head and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Probably the most fearful thing about death is wondering. What comes next? Jesus answers that for us. 
Because we know we are sinful, we know that God's law condemns us, we know that we should be separated from God for all eternity, the most terrifying thing imaginable is to think that we will end up with Satan in the eternal fires of hell. But in Jesus, we know all sins have been paid for in full. Nothing left for us to do. Jesus did it all. Satan's head has been crushed. His accusations fall on death. We're no longer separated from God. He's adopted us, Paul says, as his dear children. And then he goes on to say, what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, when he comes again in glory, we will be like him. And we will see him as he is. Like Adam and Eve, we've all messed up big time. We've destroyed our relationship with God by our sin. If you need any proof, just look at your relationships with others. They're all imperfect, aren't they? There's nothing we can do to fix it. Because of our sinful nature, no matter how many different commands God would give us, no matter how many opportunities he might give us to redo things and maybe to earn his trust back and establish the relationship by something we do, we'd fail every single time. God didn't give us a command to keep. He gave us a promise to believe. That seed of the woman is Jesus. The fact that the curtain was torn in two from top to the bottom and then he rose from the dead proves that God's promise has been kept 100%. Satan has been defeated. His power has been destroyed. Your sins have been paid for in full. Death has become for you a sleep from which Jesus will raise you. The Father has adopted you as his dear child and an heir with Jesus of eternal life. Don't let anything Satan or anyone else says or does distract you from that wonderful truth. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join in confessing our faith.